get there and I'll throw it out there. Um, but yeah. One, two, three. Woody Hoo! I was gonna say you guys are exceptionally quiet. <laughs> yeah, for You're reason. Flatting things. <laughs> and that is where the podcast begins. Oh, I should have my phone. It's fine. <laughs> oh my goodness. What? When? Who? What? Where? How? Uh, why? They're all dead. <laughs> oh well. Wait, who, who died other time. than Dumbledore? Wait, spoiler alert. That's not, that's not even relevant to this episode. <laughs> it's been like a decade! It's not a spoiler. When did the book actually come out? 2005? Well, no, Deathly Hell. Not in Deathly Hell. Oh, he died in Half of um, Prince. Half of Prince, yeah. So, I think it was five, six. six. Oh my <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Give me a minute. Give me six a minute. Five. It may have been. Might have been. Last book was 2007, so yeah, it was March anywhere between 2005 and Well, the movie was 2009. The oh, book no. is yes. 2005. Okay. Five. okay. That makes sense. That's so fine. it's been about a decade? It's been oh, more God. than a decade. I was going to say, girl. So, listen, it's not a spoiler anymore. Been, oh, God, is that like... That's like spoiling the end of Les Mis. Like 17 And then somebody years? getting mad at you for it. Like, it's been out for, like, yeah. about I mean, 200 years now. Leave it alone. The, right, right. I mean, the first movie just had a 20th anniversary. Yeah, I still have not watched that HBO Max special because I'm no. not ready to cry. No, we're, we're going to cry together on Saturday. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be beautiful. Oh, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, there's... Yeah, I watched it on New Year's Eve, I think. Was it New Year's Eve? Mm-hmm. I was supposed to go at a party, but I lost my way and I couldn't follow the Auld Lang Syne. Aaron, take over the podcast. So what yeah. are we reading okay. today? Yes. Um, Anthony, Tony, do you, Tony, Tony. Okay, so words. I'm going to introduce you, myself. Yes. Uh, I'm Tony. Hi, Tony. Uh, Welcome. What am I reading? Oh, you know what? Okay, so first of all, I'm going to plug something that I already read. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the best book I read in 2021, which was really significant because I read some really good books in 2021. Um, it's called, I'm going to this. It's called, now you can hear me, Too Bright to See by Kyle Lukoff. Um, the audiobook was read by Jake Jackson, who also incidentally happens to be Kyle Lukoff's, like, a, a good friend of Kyle Lukoff, which is pretty amazing. Um, it's a fantastic middle grade book about a character who is grieving their dead gay uncle. Um, until their dead gay uncle starts haunting them in their already haunted house. <laughs> so read it because it's worth the it's worth every word of that 200 page journey. Um, and I am currently reading a book called The Land of Forgotten Girls by Aaron and Kelly, who is like the Judy Bloom of our time. But this book is so. <laughs> So, like, it's beautifully written, but it's so traumatic because it's the well, story the of... the title like that. Yeah, so it's the story of this, of this girl and her younger sister who have emigrated from the Philippines to the United States, and they are currently living with their evil stepmom, who only married her, the girl's father, so that she could immigrate to the United States of America. She flirted with the girl's father the day they put her mother in the ground. So this gives you an idea of, yes, of this book. It's beautifully written. It's difficult to listen to, but that spunky little girl gets you through. So it's, it's, yeah, that's what I mean. 
Jen, what are you reading? I am currently... Introduce yourself. You just said my name. <laughs> but they want your real name. <laughs> Jen, if we didn't, like, establish that. No. Uh, like, enter Michael Fassbender. I, no, I meant your real name. Um, we don't remember. The, no, the meme. I am currently Perfection. reading... In the Midst of Life by Jennifer Worth, who wrote the three called the Midwife books because I have a problem. Oh, nice! <laughs> but this is more, it's about more of the time when she was a hospice nurse working with cancer patients at a uh, cancer hospice center in the 60s. Mm. And just a lot of reflections on like attitudes around death and dying, how they've changed throughout time and after medicine has developed in new and different ways to actually extend lives, but is it improving quality of life? Just a lot to chew on and think about. Mm. But my favorite part, which I told you about this, this morning, morning, I was going to ask, can you repeat for the listeners? Yes, has been, um, she's describing this pain-killing cocktail that they used to give the patients every four hours. The four ingredients that she lists in this pain-killing cocktail are morphine, <laughs> cocaine, <laughs> belladonna, and gin. I got a contact buzz of reading the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrifying. Like, every four hours, belladonna, you're not feeling gonna die. anything. Yeah, no, I have to ask, what is belladonna? Poison. It, yeah. Just a po- okay. It's, it's, a, it's a poison plant. It's a poisonous plant. Okay. Well, apparently, in like very low doses, just kind of like a hallucinogenic... Like but again, kind of you use high. too much of it, but and yeah. somebody's gonna die. Them, well, they were dying anyways, right? <laughs> At least they won't feel it. Yeah, they're not feeling any pain, I assure you. Yeah, that's yeah. So she's a very good writer. I, you know, it's not any of the three called the midwife books, but it's still very interesting in its own right. Andy, I am reading. And you didn't introduce yourself, yourself Andy. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> I am Andy, aka what is it, Grant? Dungeon Daddy. Oh, it's sticking. Ow. Bye. We're getting an E. Already an e. Get out. Go away. I don't want it. Carry on. This is bad. I am listening and reading to two different things right now. Okay. And one of which is The Ghost of Midnight Lake, narrated and written by Lucy Strange. So far, so so good. It's Her narration's pretty strong. Um, it starts off with a young, noble girl getting kicked out of her house after the death of her... But what she learns is not really her father. She's illegitimate. And oh. um, she steals a couple things out of the way, which I'm sure the story's going to revisit those things that she has taken, but now she's living a commoner's life briefly. I'm probably like an hour into it. Like, there's not a lot yet that's been uncovered, but I I like where it's going. I'm also reading, not listening to, just reading, Have Mercy, the first in the Have Mercy series, finally actually getting into it. I bought it in New York like a month, two months ago. Gosh, it's that long. Written by Jada Jones and Danielle Bennett. Um, If you want magic, political intrigue, and steampunk dragons, which are the (gasps) core element of this military brigade, this book is for you. Not to mention it starts off literally sparks. The book starts with the sparking of an international incident due to one nobleman seducing the crown prince and the local magistrate literally, I mean, like within the first two paragraphs, kicks open the door and says, all right, Royston, just just give up. I mean, the guy's still in bed with the crown prince, and they're kicking open the door like, no, oh, come on, let's go. Um, 
So okay, <laughs> it's it, there's it's a lot there's a lot going on. It's pretty dense, but I'm really enjoying it so far. Now, are we talking about flesh and blood dragons or like no, steam steampunk, okay. like mechanical dragons? Okay, okay you said my favorite thing. That's that's good. Okay. So okay. that's listening and reading. Um, I Grant, A.K.A. Lord Ish, my true name, <laughs> has been spoken out, and that gives me power since you said it. So that's how, that's how it works. Introduce I did. Overlord says oh. absolutely okay. not. Well, we're okay. passing the buck, and then you know you, we say the name, and then we, you, they get yelled at. <laughs> All right. So I am reading "Choosing Death: The Improbable History of Death Metal and Grindcore" by Albert Mudrian. This tracks. All right. Yeah. Now yeah. it's, it's a survived. very it's a very well researched book. Lots of interviews with like this ra- random guy A who was in ba- band, some band for one EP, blah 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 blah. Um, but it tracks, you know, kind of that style of music from the early influences to where we are today. Um, oh, cool! You know, even if you're not into that kind of stuff, it's an interesting read. Just kind of just to kind of immerse yourself. Mm-hmm. in it and see all the different various stylistic diversions in the genre like there's there's jazz influenced death metal there's all this crazy stuff but, oh that's actually really interesting yeah no seriously if, yes, you, you just need to find the right entry point because if you're a jazz fan listen to Atheist <coughs> they got tons of crazy stuff going on. Mm-hmm. if you like punk listen to Repulsion so there's, okay. a, lot of, there's a lot of variety in it so I guess what I'm reading nice okay Aaron <sighs> okay Thanks for that, Jen. You're welcome. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am the supreme overlord of this podcast. I I, I rule over everything. Anyways. Yeah. Um, I thought it was previously the li- library. She got downgraded. Just the podcast. <laughs> no, I said over everything. She oh, okay. Oh, I did. Okay, yes, yes. Sorry. Sorry, supreme overlord. I'll excuse myself. Get with the program. Anyways, so um, I'm reading the uh, Spark Joy by Marie Kondo for for our, uh, what is it? Forthcoming ADL Staff Book Club. And the uh, virtual event. Yes. And it's basically about like cleaning and, you know, (laughs) decluttering your life so far. I love the (laughs) greatest (laughs) understatement of 2022. (laughs) It's a book about cleaning. Um, uh, you're gonna give the TLDR version. TLDR, it's about <laughs> decluttering. Yep. Uh, and then I'm also playing. This will segue into our thing. But uh, I'm playing two things. I'm playing Kingdoms of Amalur uh, Reckoning, uh, but it's the re-reckoning. What so it's the re-reckoning. They did a. It's not really a remastered. It's like a retouch up of the whole entire game. Really? Where they combined, they made it like a Game of the Year edition where they added all oh, the okay. DLCs in there. Oh, and cool. then they added another DLC that came out in December this yeah. year. Oh. Last year. Yeah, I need to play And uh, basically the whole entire plot line, it's designed by uh, beloved author Ari Salvatore. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where you are a surviving science experiment, essentially. Mm. Um, they're trying to bring somebody back to life, and you have been somehow brought back to life. You don't know how, you don't know why. Um, but as you are being brought back to life, these bad guys come in and they're like, LOL, we want like this well of souls that you've created to like, and we want to destroy it because we don't want anyone else coming back. They don't know that you're alive, and so you kind of escape Everyone has like this like 
line of fate that, like, they have a very, like, this is how it's going to end for you. This is where your fate ends. You being brought back to life completely throw this whole entire thing out of whack. Mm. And you have the power now to change people's fate. If you want. Mm. So, like, for example, there's one moment in the game pretty early on where you are trying to figure out what's wrong with you, why people can't see your fate, because there are people who can, and they're called fate weavers, and they can see your fate and everything. And you go with this guy to go figure out why people can't, what's going on, and there's a moment where he's already seen his death, and if you want, you can completely let him just have his fate and die. Or, if you have a certain amount of power up for it, you can completely change that and keep him alive. And then he just sits there and he's like, you weren't supposed to do that. Excuse you. And then I also bought for Christmas Cyberpunk 2077, which is... Oh, um, heard a lot about that recently. There's a lot of like mixed reviews on it, but essentially you are a mercenary who comes from three different backgrounds, and three different backgrounds technically don't matter unless you, uh, you get certain, like, um, dialogue choices, but uh, you are a mercenary and you've been hired for a heist with your best friend mm. to get this memory chip, but you don't know it's a memory chip. Hush, hush. <laughs> and, spoiler um, alert. It's not really that big of a spoiler, but <laughs> um, especially because of how big. Yeah. So uh, you go through this whole entire heist and now you have this memory chip who is slowly taking over your brain. And it's Keanu Reeves. <laughs> and the first thing he does when you wake up is punch you in the face. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Who doesn't want to be punched in the face by Keanu Reeves? I mean, Nobody I, I, would, I would rather be kissed in the face by Keanu Reeves. But I would thank him. Fine. I would thank him. But anyways. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but... You kind of have to go through this whole entire thing because you realize that he's taking over your brain and he's taking over your body. And so you have to find a way to, like, fix this, and that's, like, the premise of the storyline of the game mm-hmm. without spoiling too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that I ended on that note is because cyberpunk is technically a subgenre of our podcast topic today, which is... Science fiction! It is. I I looked it up because I was like, is it? It is. It is. It is, is, but I I wonder how much that needs to be resaw. Probably does. We've already started, so. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's kind of scheduled in advance. Like, in the middle of recording it. 15 minutes into the podcast. I think we need to change the topic. No, no, no. No, no, no. no. The cyberpunk, yeah. Oh, Oh, the idea of. Sorry, I thought you meant we shouldn't do a sci fi podcast. No, well, okay. No, the train is because Because to, you know, keep on that train, one of the things that is fascinating about science fiction as opposed to even the other approximate genres that it shares a family with, which would be fantasy and horror, Mm -hmm. is that it's huge and complicated with a very long tale, you know, stretching all the way back to Frankenstein, the first science fiction novel ever. And yet you put Frankenstein next to... Star Wars and your brain hurts. Well, I mean, is that not <laughs> in part just because what Mary Shelley could conceive of in 1818 is just 
not comparable to what George Lucas could envision in, what, 1977 at the earliest? Fair. I also think of Star Wars as not science fiction, it's fantasy. There's a, in, I'm at, there's a term like... <laughs> there's like 160 years of technology developments between the two stories. Which is true. Yeah, but that's one of the interesting things about science fiction, too, is that one can draw a line between Frankenstein and Neuromancer, for example, and Neuromancer is sort of like a foundational cyberpunk text. Mm-hmm. But then you look at like what the rest of cyberpunk has done, and it's like, is that science fiction or is that just computers? And is computers? I mean, I guess it is science and technology. It, it's a big question. Usually, it's are interesting. Help, are they doing things that computers right now can do? No. Then that they're science doing. Fiction. Oh, in Neuromancer, no. No. So I mean, ba- I basically, know. the high tech about cyberpunk style is uh, essentially the high tech. So, yes, like computers, but they can do a whole bunch of other things that our computers currently cannot do in this current day and age. But also it introduces cybernetics. So Mm -hmm. your cyborgs. um, Yep. It introduces a lot of, you know, when we looked at like the world, we look at like world of tomorrow and like everything in like that utopian future. This takes like that utopian future where everything's like the Jetsons and we're all like in (laughs) floating. (laughs) Flying cars and things that technically won't ever happen in our current decade or current <laughs> life frame, but uh, it takes that and it flips it on its head sure. in a way that makes so cyberpunk really like yes it does like emphasize on that utopian and it has that cyber science fiction like elements to it, but it also takes all of that and goes well. It's not actually a utopia because look at all the stuff that's going on down in here, and it's. Mm. So would it make it a dystopia? It is a dystopia, which but another, it's more of a anti-capitalist dystopia. There's I, a lot. We will not be smirch capitalism I was gonna, here. I was gonna I say, aren't all dystopias anti-capitalist? Isn't that what? But this one, is, this, this one's even more so because cyberpunk heavily uh, emphasizes like corporations yeah, as being seen, people. Oh, right. Right, yes. As in, you know. Yeah, but just brought, like, bouncing kind of off of how you expanded on cyberpunk and going back to one of Tony's points. I feel like computers are sci-fi if they are computers that are doing things that modern-day computers cannot do. I feel like that is kind of the whole point of sci-fi, is that it's taking well, what's science okay, there's a term and that keeps expanding on it. That's interesting. Yes. There's yeah. a term that keeps popping up, like, like, and I'm a really deep dive, a deep dove, deep dive, into the... The difference between Dovin. speculative fiction and science fiction. Deep Dove. Thank oh, Dovin. Did you just say speculative fiction? I like the term speculative fiction. It Which covers a lot. Science fiction could, like, like rough understanding, and correct me if my understanding is erroneous, but. <laughs> Ursula Le Guin is going to show up and punch me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speculative fiction is like I, I would imagine maybe at the time uh, Frankenstein was more speculative. Like there were the early little things that were going on with electricity. Um, maybe that's a little bit more speculative. Then you get something like in the vein of just really kind of wacky example would be the Jetsons. So far out there, or Star Wars. Like, but then even leads to another question. Some people link. Are like, we speculating lightsabers in the future? Well, but Dr. Frankenstein is is a scientist. Yeah. That's why Frankenstein is science fiction, because he is a scientist mm-hmm. postulating theory and then actually doing experiments and carrying it out. It's a very basic definition of science fiction, but, but if the, the time, genre doesn't exist, basic is what you get. You and know? at the time where that's what science really is at the time, when 
Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, mm-hmm. that's considered like something that's technologically advanced that nobody has access to. There wasn't a lot like right. while there yes. was a lot of science because this is mm-hmm. like yeah. 1700s or whatever. I don't remember her exact 1818. Thank you. Nice. But like that. this is like current like <laughs> industrial like mm-hmm. starting to get there. But like there isn't a lot of science in terms of what we see in like a steampunk genre or a cyberpunk genre. This is we're just we're just now turning the wheels, yeah, and, I mean, and also, we're just now actually like, moving. Yes, Frankenstein is science fiction, but Mary Shelley would not have called it that in 1818, as the genre did not exist. No, I mean they like, weren't even—they weren't even calling it that in, like, like we are retroactively applying yeah. the terms. Yeah, fiction. because it took it took like a, a like I think it was 2016 or 17 before people really started referring to Frankenstein as a science fiction novel because there's a, a school in. California that Nala Hopkinson, a science fiction writer, was working at, and they're like a school of science, like studying science fiction, and that's what they do is that they like they pour through literature is that like and UCLA they. UCLA or somewhere. I think it's UCLA, yeah. And they were the ones that sort of were the first ones going. Wait a minute, Frankenstein is doing everything that Jules Verne did, probably better, because Frankenstein is, is you know universally worshipped. That's a science fiction. Oh, she invented science fiction. She didn't know that's what she was doing, but she yeah. did. You know, she was just trying to do better than Lord Byron, and like, weren't we all? So, <laughs> but I think again, like, so science fiction is is fascinating to me because it's so hard. I don't want to say hard to pin down, but it is so capacious that, and 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 the science fiction also, community like, is so accepting of so much. Okay, also, you know. Lightning question for everyone. Sure. When you hear sci-fi, what do you picture? Oh, that's a Flash Gordon. You know what I, you know what I actually picture? I picture <laughs> Ursula Le Guin sitting there wagging her finger going, oh, you think you know, but you don't know. <laughs> that's what I picture because... But know, okay, but if you yeah. were... To, tell, you know, if I would go, what is a sci-fi book? What is your, like, stereotypical brain image? Okay, admis- admission point. Here's my point of admissions. I find the study of science fiction as a genre far more fascinating than the genre itself. The genre itself pours me to tears. I try. I try so hard. How many Star Wars did you read last year? Okay. None, actually. But he defends it by saying it's not science. But that's the thing. But Star Wars, to me, is because... Fantasy. It it, it is either really bad science fiction, which I would go for, or base-level fantasy, which I much prefer, because base-level fantasy is fine with me. I, cons- I consider it far more fantasy because that's where it's pulling from. It's pulling that from all of its energy is pulling from from fantastical literature, and that's its foundation. Whereas, it's not just science fiction because it has spaceships. That's very lazy. Like it's just like, oh come on, do better than that. There has to be some kind of like, even if it's a small amount of extrapolation, there has to be some kind of like positing a theory or thinking through using some principle of science. It can be a social science. You know. Could we okay. say that George Lucas is, when he's creating the first Star Wars or writing up the, 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 the blueprints for it, he's still in that generation within a decade mm-hmm. of man landing on moon. And the idea of traveling to planets, so it's not just spaceships, it's in, in interstellar sure, it travel. It is a whole intergalactic... I mean, yeah. lasers were traveling at becoming a thing at the mm-hmm. time. They weren't, like, actually a thing, but, like, the idea of those that technology, emerging technology, was 
there. So, I mean, sure. could it, sure. Like, how much of it are we taking for granted as things we basically have nowadays? Yeah, and he is. I mean, it's like Flash Gordon inspired, right? And Flash Gordon mm-hmm. is a part of that like pulp generation of science fiction where science didn't matter as long as you had robots and giant bugs. You know, the thing is a science fiction. You mean like half of movie. science fiction now calling out the actual Flash on CW? <laughs> Yeah. The but science it, yeah. is made up and the points don't matter. But yes, I... I, I Isn't will, that just I DC will, in general, though? <laughs> yeah. I will fully admit, fully admit, that as a, as a genre, particularly literary genre, I find its existence and its room for so much really fascinating. But the material itself, including from Ursula Le Guin, I love her fantasy. I, I can't read the science fiction. It bores me to tears. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm not a science person. <laughs> I'm not a science person either, and granted, I've not read that much sci-fi in my life, but, like, certain kinds. Like E.K. Johnson. Talk to us about E.K. Yeah. E. Johnson's yeah. science fiction, because she does write science fiction. Yes. But she doesn't do... Or at least I'm thinking mostly about Etherbound and that inevitable Victorian thing. Yes. Which is sci-fi, even yeah. though nobody would think to look at it. But it's time travel, right? No, not it's... time travel. Alternate reality. Oh. It's alternate, near future. Yes. A lot of genetic testing components at play, a literal genetic computer that you upload your results into and it matches you with like Mm -hmm. your perfect genetic matches. Mm -hmm. And it's how one character finds out that she's intersex. So like that's just to me like a fantastic use of like sci-fi. And what I love most about her work is for both Ether Brown and Victorians is that like she uses sci-fi tropes. We're on spaceships, we're doing genetic testing. We've got all this happening but there's still a real core of like Kindness and just character-driven compassion things at the base. It's not the sort of militaristic sci-fi that a lot of people. You're not. Are into. You're not focusing on the sci-fi. You're focusing on the people. Yeah, like it's True. yeah, it's incidentally sci-fi. So, is that's where your mind goes when someone says science fiction? Or admittedly, I still a... like. I feel like I still kind of. If I hear sci-fi, I'm thinking like pulpy robots. But like, if I'm thinking about <laughs> sci-fi that I have read and enjoyed, right. it's E.K. Johnston. Okay. Everyone should read either bound. It's so good. There's I have it. So many descriptions of cheese and cake. <laughs> Which again yeah. is not so that's something that you think of like when you if you hear Jane Austen, I think, oh yeah, cheesecake and tea. Like okay. and maybe a ball here and there. But like you don't think of no. well, Has a sequel been announced yet? No. Because the main character has been kept on rationing for her whole life because oh, she is right. useless to her family, so they only feed her like whatever. Exactly like, what she needs to. Yeah, live. like exactly. ration squares with the exact amount of calories she needs to survive every day, and then she gets to the big space station and meets the two boys <sighs> that are going to become important to her life, and they're like, "Have you ever had cheese?" And she's like, "What's cheese?" And they're like, <laughs> "Let's go." Constipated, <laughs> just thinking about that. Yeah. It's brilliant. Or like she ends up marrying one of them, and like the wedding cake is the big deal about this. It is not the marriage; it is the wedding cake. But you know, I do love, and I should like as an addendum say this because I was thinking about Grant as I was thinking about this. I love science fiction movies, which is interesting yeah. because most science fiction writers, particularly the older they are, they hate science fiction movies. They're like, this is stupid, because they're right. It is most of the time when you really think about it, you're like, this is not actually intelligent. But Minority Report, give me more Minority Report. Even the Dune movie, I'm just like, there are things in here that I like so much. I just, I, I don't know why. What's some of your Maybe, favorite sci-fi, Grant? Yeah. Uh, well, to answer your earlier <laughs> question, like, what do, what do you think of when you think of sci-fi? Yes. 
I personally go back to like classic Golden Age sci-fi paperback covers. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That's what originally got me to read them in the first place. So like Asimov. And, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yes. And, I, and I, I was a science person as a kid, so that's kind of... I liked, I loved iRobot and stuff. Yeah, um, see, that makes sense to me for you. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, so... What was I going to say? What was the question? What do I like yeah. in sci-fi? Yeah. Yeah, what, what is... I mean, you know, what is your go-to in... Yeah. Okay, well, like, like you said, I like Asimov. I like Arthur C. Clarke. The first... True blue sci-fi book I ever read was probably 2001, and that's because mm. the movie unironically mm. changed my life. And then, so I wanted to see the book that it was based right. on. It's not really based on. It was written concurrently with. The, that's right. Uh, okay. Yeah. The movie. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, they go in some different directions, mm. but um, and then from there I kind of explored more of his books, and then just you know I got into kind of collecting old paperbacks and stuff. And so I have kind of shown you some covers upstairs. Yes, yes, you have, <laughs> and they yeah. were glorious. There are. Do you have a favorite? Whether it be film or book right now? Well, film 2001. I think that's okay. in conversation for the best movie ever made. Wow. Like, I love it. Okay. Bold. This, this, like, beyond, like, ignoring all the thematic and experimental stuff that happens in like the last 20 minutes, s- special effects wise, it's it holds up today and it was made in 1968. What? Like, yeah. It was made before we landed on the moon and. He got it down. That's why there's... That's why there's, there's, there's uh, is that why everyone thinks the moon landing was fake? Yes. Okay. But, oh, that's right. I forgot about that. That <laughs> is was what, real? That, that is, yes. <laughs> I forgot that that movie's No misinformation on the podcast, Andy. Fake news. Sorry. Yeah, especially on the, especially on the sci-fi podcast <laughs> where, you know, science is real. From a library. <laughs> but you know what? That's the other thing. Okay, I have to talk about... I have to hammer uh-oh, this uh-oh. in really hard because it... Again, my queen, Miss LeGrane, said this in an essay and she literally spent her entire career shouting down entire roomfuls of people who were like, science fiction is about the prediction of the future. And she's like, no, it is not. It never was. It cannot be. There's no possible way. And to extrapolate on that a little bit about how I feel in regards to that, this pandemic, year three, how many science fiction novels have pandemics? How many science fiction novels have, you know, world-spanning diseases? How many? None of them got... Station 11. Yeah, right. None of them got this right, period. None of them could have predicted the idiocy, the politicaz- okay, politicization of I it. I don't think... I mean... <laughs> I do agree... Like, yes, obviously sci-fi is not, like, directly trying to predict the future. Right. But I think what stands out to people when they read sci-fi is how prescient some of it feels. Oh, sure. Like, for example, one of Ray Bar- Bradbury's, like, not necessarily claim to fame, but, like, he used to brag and say, like, I invented the MP3 player, <laughs> which is, like, it's true. Like, there are inventions, whole inventions that, that come out of people having read science fiction novels and, and they going to be scientists and figuring those things out. It's incredible. It's wonderful. It's also not the intention with which the fiction was written. No, of course not. Um, which is interesting because that is the thing that gets like latched onto it. Like it's just like, you know. I do want to because you. I, I was thinking about bringing this up at some point or another. Yeah. But it was a quote that I've had hanging around for years that Ray Bradbury is quoted as saying: sure. "Science fiction is the important literature, the history of the world, because it's the history of ideas and the history of our civilization itself." Yeah, he was a part of the generation of sci-fi writers who really believed that, partly because they had to defend it. Well, yeah. You know, the, the, okay, so right now, science fiction mm-hmm. is studied in school, in colleges, in universities. True. 
Ray Bradbury and Le Guin have huge... They, they're, but despite the science fiction that they actually wrote, they're championing the genre and defending it against stupid people. Um, that's really helped because so many people in the, in the decades that they were writing were so fixated on realism that, you know, it was like, well, why would we want to read science fiction? Isn't science fiction Jules Verne? <laughs> and that's just like, it, I mean, you know, you can hear... My you can hear the eye yeah. roll from here. Yeah, but it's it is one of those things that like now that it is something that we that we can that we praise that has mm-hmm. prestige, um, it's I don't know. I think it's interesting. Again, I find that the, the subject of it is very interesting. The material that I mean, you know. I don't know where that was going. It's Do you have a favorite one? <laughs> Anything? Me? Favorite sign? Yeah. Um, so I haven't actually. I play more, like, science fiction-y type things than I do That's actually fair. read them. Um, I think the Sparrow, the Mary DeRia Russell one, that is... That yeah. It does have a science fiction on it. It is science fiction. Um, uh, I, I dread to actually, like, say out his name, but I did read Ender's Game for a bit. I um, love... Wait, wait. Why, why do you dread to say his name? Don't worry about it. I'll explain it later. He's a brumbo. Yes. Yeah. Otherwise okay. known, otherwise known as the bigot from North Carolina. Yes. Carry on. Oh. Um, okay. So I, I you I'll were, say you it. were saying like um, it being read in schools, and we actually so for fun fact for one of my college classes, we read the second book of uh, Ender's Game. Ooh, why would they do that? That was actually hilarious. Context for that, really quick. He wrote, if you, I mean. Brumbo, Mr. Brumble, we'll call him that from here on out. Um, he wrote the first book as a short story. He hates gay people. No, I knew that. I don't oh. know why we're calling him Brumbo. Oh, I, I don't know. Because he, that's Grant just the word Brumble. that he gave him. Because it doesn't have the same ring as J.K. Turfling. <laughs> Carry on. But he wrote, originally, uh, he wrote Ender's Game as a short story and then wrote Speaker for the Dead. Yes. Yep. Which was, I, I like both, but Speaker for the Dead was an infinitely better book for me. Interesting. Um, but when he was working Speaker for the Dead to its conclusion, he realized, I need to finish the first novel, or the first story. Mm. So he went back and then, which a lot of people would agree that the second book is the better of the two, and I would agree. Because he had more time to actually like mm-hmm. fix that when he finished like his short story, Ender's Game, originally, and then he was like, oh wait, I have to go back. It's like... J.K. Turfling writing the uh, end of the seventh book first and then deciding to go through and write everything else and then you're like, you can see that disconnect between yeah. the two. Um, definitely read Sparrow. Sparrow's really good. Mm-hmm. 10 out of 10 would recommend it. It's actually in the staff uh, oh, book, yes, you did book club and I told everyone to suffer through it. Because yeah, it's, because uh, suffer in parentheses. I'm like, oh my. It makes you want it makes you suffer a bit. I'm not saying like it's a bad suffering; it's a good suffering. <laughs> the sparrow. Well, we mm-hmm. are we gonna circle back to that when we do your throwing books out the window podcast? Yes, actually, um, Grant has already read this. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say it's my favorite book I read last year. It was All right. really, really good. Wow. Wow. Statement. Okay. I need to read the sequel. But yeah, nice. Children of God's the sequel. Okay. It's <gasps> story short, short, short TLDR if you don't want it is a guy goes into space, he's a monk, he goes with a whole bunch of people, they find aliens, and it turns out that this alien 
planet has a civil war that's going on between the two of them, and this book goes between the past and the future, Mm -hmm. or the present and the past, as the uh, main character, who's a monk, has come back from this expedition as the only one alive. As one does. And you learn that he's done a lot of things, and the planet has done a lot of things to him, and in his religion, as he is a monk, has decided to throw faith out the window because nobody was listening to him while he was on this other planet, so is it actually real or not? And so he has to go through this whole entire, like, uh, self-discovering journey of is my faith actually real or not as he is being nursed back to health by uh, the other monks in his monastery. And they have to figure out what happened to him because he's not telling. And so they have to come in like little bit by little bit and come get like the story from him. Okay. So every chapter or so is either like in the past or in the future. Sometimes they do half and half and it's really good. Um, Yes, it has the aliens and the spaceships, but like the sci-fi is definitely there. It's definitely more of a human... I hate to say it, speculative <laughs> sci-fi okay. than anything else. Well, I, I need to clarify this. I was actually just thinking about this while you were talking. The thing about speculative fiction, the term speculative fiction, is that it was invented in a time when people wanted to do cheap science fiction without being called science fiction writers because that was a dirty word. Um, so they started writing all kinds of poop <laughs> um, and calling it speculative fiction. So when they got called on it, like one of these people... Um, wrote a book that has women in red cloaks and white combed things. What's oh, it called? Oh, the Handmaid's, Handmaid's Tale. Tale. Yes, thank you. The Handmaid's Tale. Margaret Atwood. <laughs> I really thought you were just being shady and trying to. No, no, no. I am loud. being shady, but only because Ursula did it first. Margaret <laughs> Atwood was one of those people. Like when she first, like for twenty years, was just like, I don't write science fiction. I write speculative fiction. And Ursula Gwynn was like, Oh, honey, stop. isn't that just a dystopian? <laughs> like, yeah, literally. Like she was like, girl. Next. Um, but what I find interesting about speculative fiction is that now there is a veritable like tradition of names that one could fit in there, starting with writers like Michael Moorcock, going through to writers like China Mieville and N.K. Jemisin, because her trilogy, the award-winning one, I would not call fantasy, but I would also not call it science fiction. It's right I in the middle. I think it's speculative fiction because she uses the principles of science to gift her... Invi- her invented world with people like basically earthbenders. They are earthbenders, but because she's using science, not just the terminology, but the way science actually works, that it's it's really fascinating. Yeah, I have a cursed question. Um, so considering that you consider Star Wars fantasy, <laughs> I do. Carry on. But other people also consider it science fiction. Would you consider it speculative? Speculative. No, because it is. It, it doesn't. Bel- he doesn't it, want to. It's not. A, it's, they don't want to. Be, well, it's because it's not. Yeah, thank an, you. The, You're welcome. The blend is not thorough enough, and I think that's my problem with Star Wars being even called a science fiction. Because one, where's the science? I'm sorry, a talking droid is not science. Please. Do we have them now? I mean, okay. No. Yes. We don't, ha- we don't have yes. talking dragons either, but that doesn't make them okay, anymore. Okay, but we've never like, had dragons. We have Komodo dragons. We have never you. had full-size dragons. <laughs> okay. That we know of. That, that we are we aware of, of at okay. this time. I saw a very convincing history channel time. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my, was it before or after the Hitler bunker? It, it was, I think that was after they played it like five times. you got to get that Hitler in there. So. Yeah. My point is like, <laughs> but, but 
3PO has so much in common with stock fantasy characters that it just makes more sense that it would be fantasy. Whereas something like Star Trek, even though it's bull, the science, a lot of the time, because it's like half science. It's like those medical dramas, right? Where you're like... Pseudoscience. You're like, medicine doesn't like that, but House said it, so I'm there. Pseudoscience. The same thing is true of Star Trek, right? Like they, the, the, as far as the plot will take you, sure. Yeah. And also, all of that <laughs> is just to like, we need a cohesive forty-minute drama. We cannot do. We yes. can only have so much science if we want it to be an understandable television show. Yes. Okay, but it's yes, things like that. I mean, like there's a whole discussion on how Star Trek is a is, is a good example of um, science fiction that inspired people to work in technologies that we do have now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, cell phones are credited to, like, people being inspired by Star Trek and tablets, um, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it even, and even, I'm sure it was not, it, I mean, it was already in use, but, like, even, like, X-ray technology has taken leaps and bounds. People that were inspired by X-ray technology by scanners We are also getting Trek. talking robots at some right? point. They are um, working on that. That is right. being worked on. Right. So you have things like that. Um, like what is the can we give but like so it's like you talk about like the, the science is weak yes because technically they were imagining it they were imagining it on the spot but doesn't it get some credit <laughs> from for it, like having Wait, are imagination are we talking Trek or Wars here because Wars gets no credit as far as I'm which one <laughs> Star Wars gets no credit for science fiction period it, it, when it, we have our lightsaber I want an apology from you <laughs> Even if you do, because here, think, okay. Are you going to go to the lightsaber school to learn how to use it? Yes. Because there is, like, at least, like, three. There's a wonderful quote from Marlon James in his podcast, Marlon and Jake Read Dead People, in which he says, I don't think that childhood was invented until Dickens wrote it. And I had to, like, I pressed pause, and I (laughs) thought about that, and I was like, he is absolutely right. Children in any part of society were not children. And then Dickens wrote 14 novels in which children were not only like important enough to be the central figures, but they had a psychosis. They like thought about things. There was no children's literature, even. I mean, children's literature was there, but it was like, how to be a good girl. Also, this is the letter C. Yeah, right, exactly. Like, it was nowhere near (laughs) My war flashbacks are going to Samantha at that point because it's the same time period. (laughs) Right, so this is, like, pre-Oz. This is pre, like, Charlotte's Web. This is pre... So, really, Dickens, like, does something incredible in, in literature, but in his day, he was thought of in one way. Now that we've had 200 plus years of him, we think of, like, we can say things like, oh, he invented childhood, and, like, you know, childhood begins with Dickens and that kind of thing. I feel the same thing has happened to science fiction, where, like, in their day, I think in its day, Star Wars was science fiction because it was doing things approximate to, I mean, it was bad science fiction, but whatever. It was doing things approximate to science fiction. We've had enough since then that I'm like, no. (laughs) It is the... No. Because... As we know, science is more complicated than that. And it is used in fiction in ways that are, like Cloud Atlas is fantastically science fiction. Because it, it's complex. Doctor Who is not science fiction either. Sonic Screwdriver? It's fantastic. It's fun. It's I love it. I love it. It's so fantastical because basically- I'm ready for all the flames that are gonna come your why way. Isn't it? I, 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 go ahead. Great. No, I'm just, I find all this is, 
this genre talk to so should, should, <laughs> should I oh, bring you, up the I forgot, bit. yes, I forgot that Grant's like not a No, I just queen. see it as a marketing tool. It makes it easier to consume. Like, it makes it mm. e- an easier sell for people. I mean, it's it, mm-hmm. at times it is useful to differentiate a certain strain of fiction. Yeah. But when it when it becomes a dogmatic thing that you're trying to def- to define and like does does it, does this qualify as this yeah, 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 it just it uh, stagnates, you know. Yeah. I and I do think that certain... for every person like a genre Art. label helps Art. Yeah. for you know I know I like romance, I know I Thank like you. sci-fi whatever. Yeah. For, I, there is another person who goes, oh, that's a romance, I won't read it. Oh, that's sci-fi, I mm-hmm. won't read it. Oh, that's fantasy, I won't read it. Yeah, and yeah. And, and I and like I, I won't I won't lie and say I never go like I want hey I want to go read a, a science fiction book or something or I want to watch an action movie. You know? Yeah. Hmm. But like they can be useful to a point, but they can't. Yeah, it really it really gets out of control in my opinion. It's interesting because we say that a lot with books. The one arena that we never say that in. And if someone did say that in that arena, people would look at you like you were stone crazy and want to kill you, is music. If you ever said to, to a musician, like, oh, music is just music, every musician in the room would look at you like, are you st- are, say what? Are you because what? a jazz musician plays the piano far differently from a classical no, musician. No, but I That's- do think, like, yes, there are certain styles, there's certain styles of music, there are certain styles of fiction writing, whatever. But the second I hear somebody go, oh, I li- only listen to, like, Electronica dance folk. I'm like, what does that mean? And also, shut up. <laughs> but they're no. not. But you. That is stupid. It's, when we is have, it? Like, yes. I don't. Yes. Know. It's, it's, it's once we finally have like five different subgenres down. That's yeah. when it gets like really once we start stupid. drilling into. Oh, it's sci-fi, but it's also hard sci-fi, or it's yeah. It just I would agree with yeah. Yeah. There's like and I would agree. With yeah. And like in yes. like just. Yeah. To, not and I don't care if you flame me for saying I only listen to electronic and dance folk is stupid because it is. No, that, not even. Uh, is it even a thing? I got to find it now. It is a thing. I was making up a genre. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. But I find I I do. Yeah. Mm. That's not to stick on this music thing, but there there are quite a lot of artists that are truly, in my opinion, undefinable. Like they like yes. Oh they, sure. They, they take they take Full elements tronica. from different genres. But you know they look at genre as building blocks, you know, to create their own personal and it is. thing. And, yeah, and, and you know, and if you if eventually if they influence other people and you wanna maybe, you know, Gone put a label Iver. on that, fine, whatever. But yeah. even I don't know. I don't know where I was going. No, but. no, I agree with you. So for example, I will give an example and you know what? She's my queen, so I will talk about her however <laughs> I choose. Beyonce is not an R and B artist She's any pop. longer. In Destiny's Child, they started out as pop artists because yes. they were a pop girl group. Because there were, anyway. When she first got her solo, she was album R&B? was a hardcore R and B album with like maybe a couple of pop hits. But that, I mean, that's an R and B album. She's transitioned after that. Back into old pop girl again. moved on. She has used building blocks from very different genres to create a Beyonce sound, so that she is Beyonce in the same way that Michael Jackson did. Like he originally began as what you would call it, I think, a soul artist when he first started, but then he well, began really, the to... really, the Jackson 5. And the, Motown. Yeah, and he Motown, he had the Motown sound. But after that, he began to deliberately use, like, rock musicians and, like, Vincent Price's voice in Thriller, like, to throw music into a different space so that it was a Michael Jackson sound, not a Michael Jackson Motown sound, which is perfectly fine. Then you have other people, like... Oh, God, I'm trying to think of a name that people actually, because most people don't know, R&B artists. Usher. 
Usher's that never works. leaving the he's never leaving the R and B stable because that's where his fans are. He's never gonna make money outside of R and B because he ain't that good. He um, tried. Y'all can shoot me for Didn't it. Work. He ain't that his good. His clone was pretty <laughs> pretty wonderful. Um but yeah, I mean it's it is one of those things that like you have people who work in genres because they're really good at what they do in that genre. And then you have other people who mix it up and change it and they create their own invent like you know, a Judy Bloom book is a Judy Bloom book. You don't need to say, well, Judy Bloom, the children's author, because she's not just a children's author. She wrote a lot of children's books. She also wrote adult fiction. She's also written nonfiction. Like, you know, not to go on again about Ursula Le Guin, Ursula Le Guin did the same thing. She made her name in science fiction. But what most people don't know is that she was actually a lifelong poet and was published first as a poet. And I think actually the very last thing that she published was a poetry collection. I think so, yeah. so, like, you know, one can do all kinds of things and be all kinds of things, but you're going to get recognized for the thing that people think you do best or the thing that they know you by, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I think Denis Villeneuve is a film director. Would I call him a science fiction film director? Probably just because most of what we know him for is science fiction. But I have, like, hardcore faith that he could do something in another completely, like, mm-hmm. different oh, film yes, genre. Really and like and stuff. Right, yes, and just, like, blow your mind. So what we're saying is the label is a good starting point, but that doesn't mean it's the end point. I think it's just a fascinating, like, I because I come at it from a scholarship perspective. Like, the marketing ploy idea of it is annoying when you walk into a bookstore and they have, like, a whole shelf and it's, like, LGBT. And then, like, you see LGBT, right? And you're like, okay, there's the shelf. And then, like, there's the YA LGBT. As if it's somehow different LGBT just because it's for teenagers. Girl, and you're like, you like, get that in cataloging all the yeah. time, too. It's, <laughs> it's the, like the most ridiculous also, thing. It's the LGBT. And, like, book one is Call Me By Your Name and book two is Red, White, and Royal Blue. And I'm like... Which is, a, which is a big improvement, I must add, th- to what it used to be, where it used to be this tiny little, like, ghettoized corner where you would find James Baldwin next to Bell Hooks. It's like, let, thank God we've moved on and we have a legitimate, like, section. But can we just get rid of that section and put those people in fiction? Like, it's yes. just fiction. Like, it's, it can be obnoxious when it gets to the, to the bookstores and the marketing. But in scholarship, it's much more interesting because they're looking at okay, this chunk of texts from the 1960s are all doing these things. They're published by these different houses. Some of them were published by sci-fi houses. Others were published Mm -hmm. by not. But they're all thinking in a certain vein and they're using robots to do it. You know what I mean? Like, that I find much more interesting and less stupid than, (laughs) you know. As with literally everything, it's a personal thing. And like with me, maybe maybe I... I find hyper strict genre labels off-putting mm-hmm. because sure. just me personally, I prefer stuff that maybe is a little more rough around the edges. Because if mm-hmm. you when you when you stick in a genre, you can nail it down and you can refine it to a like mm-hmm. beat me by with beat by pop beat. music, like pop music, yeah. yeah. And just just like with me, I like don't get me started. You know, stuff rougher around the edges, more experimental stuff, I guess. Yeah, it, it just depends. But you know, pop music is a great example because like I think of pop music and romance novels as the same thing. I want my pop music to have the beats. If it doesn't have the beats, it's a bad pop song, period. I, if it's more, th- if you give me an eight minute pop song, I'm furious. Yeah. Did you that put is, it in six, eight time? Why? Yeah, right, that is not a pop song. Give me a pop song and be done with it. Same thing is true of romance novels. Can you do really cool things within the formula? Absolutely, but if you mess up, if you verge, if suddenly someone dies at the end and that's your ending, that is not a romance. Like, and I genuinely is not. Yes, and I think that that it it 
it gets maligned a lot, not by you, but like yeah. by, by a lot of people because it is thought of as basic or simple or overly. But I remember like Quincy Jones saying, he's like, people don't understand how difficult it is to write a three minute song that tells you everything that you need to know in three minutes and you can repeat it and listen to it without actually having you know, like you hear it once and it's still in your head. Like it's Party hard. in the USA is a genius. Really because I just said that and all of you are humming it. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> Thanks. I'll, I, I got one, I'll one up you. I actually wasn't. It's guy. Friday, Friday. I gotta get down. I, I hate you. <laughs> no, no, I'll you one up you from so that. Much. She wrote a sequel and it's called Saturday. Oh, no. Was that, oh, was that, that one. a Mac yeah. Moore song? It, it was not. Get out. Go I'm sorry, away. Grandpa. Go home. Listen to the radio. First of all, you don't get to say Macklemore because you didn't even know. Ooh, that's deep. I saw his. From I saw the name Macklemore somewhere this past week, and I thought, oh, that's that's the artist they gave me heck for not knowing. Yeah, but she wrote a song called Saturday. Oh, no. I miss it's that. actually a lot better well, than Friday. It would um, have to be. But the thing about Saturday is she <laughs> she pulls a lot. She definitely takes the. The bar um, was on the ground. She takes a, a lot of the joke from her, you know, the song that became a meme. Yes. She, she took a lot of jokes from that, and she incorporates that into Saturday and makes it, I say, honestly, probably a lot better. I it's definitely, that. like, something that you'd probably hear on the radio. Mm-hmm. But the fact that she takes the joke and she just jokes about it the whole entire song in the music video is just really hilarious. Mm-hmm. You have to own it, otherwise it'll... She had, She owned yeah, it. And also, like, like that there. was such a predatory situation that she was in when Friday yeah. was made. Anyways, mm-hmm. not to derail us, because we're running out of time. Yeah. yeah. Before we do a smack, any last, like, sci-fis people love that we should just at least throw out there for people to discuss? Yeah. I, Fahrenheit 451. Uh, yeah. Nice. I was going to throw out an One absolutely remarkable thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, not. yeah, the, the Hank Green. Yes, Hank's yes. book. Okay. It's got a, an alien named Carl. And also, the ending of book one, I almost like threw the whole book across the room because I didn't Yes! Know I did it. <laughs> yes! Threw it out the window! <laughs> I will. The I, ending of that book, I was legitimately like, Hank, what? How? What? I will say that um, if you can find, you can find, go to your local library, walk up to the desk, the reference librarian, whoever, say, Ursula Le Guin essay collections, and just pick one. Um, because it's worth. Even if you, again, if you are not like me and you find liter- like textual science fiction dull, her um, defense of the genre and thoughts about the genre is really top-notch writing. Um, I, I love it so, so much. And it helps inform you about things that you didn't realize you didn't know about literature, which is really fun. But also, there is a TED Talk by Nettie Okorafor. Nettie with two N's so that you can find a core for because I'm not spelling that for you. Um, about how uh, she built African futurism. She does not call it African futurism in that video because she did not have the term yet. But um, that's her and the African continent's brand of science fiction. And it is developing fast. And I think it's a fascinating new step for a genre that people thought was dying. So, you know, or at least was stale, if not dying. Yeah. You know, yeah. Great. Right. Anything from you? Yeah, I kind of have, I want to plug two books. Um, mm. One is Three Years with the Rat by Jay Hosking. Um, it's it's another one where it's ar- arguably not a science fiction, but whatever. Oh, interesting. Um, we're loose here. Yeah, we're pretty, yeah. Um, 
and uh, it's about it incorporates tri time travel, other dimensions, kind of mixed with kind of a personal family story. Um, hmm. I think it's done really well. The guy who wrote it has a PhD in working with rats. I, he doesn't Ridiculous. have a PhD. He doesn't have a PhD in rats. He has a PhD in something, and he worked with rats. Ratology. So he knows kind of what he's talking about. The rat game. And there and there's a very cute rat in the book. So if you if you like cute rats, read that. Maybe I'll suggest it for Elder. I love it. Um, and the other one I have to recommend because my mom told me to. <laughs> Her favorite, her favorite book is A Wrinkle in Time. So that oh, is yeah. lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that just went out this week. That I was really oh, happy. Mm -hmm. to run upstairs to get it for a patron. It made me so happy. I'm like yeah. you're gonna love. It. And they got the movie too, Good. which I'm supportive of. I love that movie. I think so many people hate it. Which one? Wonderful. Uh, Wrinkle in Time. Yeah, the Ava. Which movie? The most the good one. one. Okay. Yeah, the Ava. The, the good one doesn't make any sense because there's two of them. I don't like the old ones. It was We're, actually not that bad. The one that came out like 12 years ago. Was that a TV movie? Or was that no, like it was a Disney movie. No, it was a Disney movie. Oh. Was it? Oh, that's it was right. Super low budget, yeah, both, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Oh, no. Snog. Mary of Oh, no. Yikes. And you're going to hate me because I went into the robot realm. Oh, oh no. That's fine. No, Rosie. From the Jetsons. Uh -uh. Oh no. C3PO from Star Wars and Wally. Wally. You have to stop Wally because I love him so much. I guess no, I would marry Wally because it's. I was gonna say, yeah, I would marry Wally. Because he saves the world, right? Basically. Yeah. Kind of, and he's yeah. just, he's cute. Like, I don't have. I need to watch See, I'll just yeah. kiss Wally. Is it like shooting a head? dog? Yeah. And I feel like I'm just putting 3PO out of his misery and killing him. And I'll kiss Rosie. For but think about it. Six million forms of communication. Think about the ways he could talk flirtatious to Or he could annoy me in six million languages. Yeah, I mean, like, literally. No, like, I'm no, putting C3PO out of his misery because we are too much alike and it would never work out. That's also bad. Um, Honestly, I'll marry Rosie because she'll clean my house. The problem is Oof. with all three of them is that I can reprogram them. And the only one I don't want to reprogram is Wally. <laughs> so, because so, Rosie. You know who Rosie is? Hmm. Rosie is the Karen of the '60s. Oh. Just as a robot. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, she's, she's, she's got the wit and the, you know. She's... Karens need love. Karen. They need a lot more love than most. They need to calm down. I think you're buying. Into the, I think you're buying into the Karenness of the Karens. <laughs> but okay, sure. The attitude is a word I was looking for. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, Rosie's a little less Karen than the millennial Karens, but. Okay, but she'll still clean my house. I mean, that's, that's true. <laughs> I, I love that that's what you're Do we want going. an alternate one? Because I'll throw it out there. Yes. Kirk Spock McCoy. Oh, now see, that's rude. That is I don't Kirk watch, Spock McCoy. I, I don't watch that Star Trek. Is, if we were talking okay. about Next Generation, I might have some more ground to stand on. I've only seen the Chris Pine. Snog uh, Spock. That's, I'm going to get that out of there. Um, I would Kill Kirk. Mary McCoy. See, I would marry Spock. Oh. If he can do that with the little thing with his finger, imagine what else he can do with that hand. Come on, that's no. why I'm marrying him. Hello. Um, that's true. The problem is, is that I'm toxic enough to want to snog and kill Kirk. So I should probably. You could do both. So I should probably Black kill, widow it. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, I should probably kill Kirk and snog McCoy just, just to you know, keep everything. I was gonna say PG, but that's not, not PG. <laughs> yeah, I. Oh. I like Bones, but I don't like Bones. I don't watch Star Trek. I saw the Chris Pine version. 
Oh no, same. Because the original. I mean, I've seen the original series enough to have a, a, a working knowledge of things, but it's not my jam. It just. You know. But that. Didn't work. I would marry Chris Pine. It's just because it's Chris Pine. Chris Pine is. Wait, wait. So if it's Chris Pine, so it has Chris Pine. Yes, Chris Pine.